0: Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our focus this year is to be with Jesus become like Jesus, and do the works of Jesus. And to inform us on what that looks like, we're going to look at the Manifesto of Jesus, which is his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. But before we kick off our new series, I do want to give us some guidance and direction to our 21-day fast that is starting today. And uh, we talked about fasting in our uh, Y series, but to refresh your memory, uh, Jesus clearly says in Matthew 6, when you fast, not if you fast, And he told his disciples in Mark 9 that this work can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And that basically means um, some things only change when you fast. Jesus himself fasted. So fasting is one of the practices of Jesus. We simply can't afford to dismiss a spiritual practice that Jesus endorses. And we, we, we have to learn how to wield this mighty spiritual weapon. It's one of the greatest gifts God has given us for renewing our soul. Um, As I mentioned, fasting is is one of the most powerful spiritual weapons believers can use, yet many Christians have never experienced it. And there is a common misperception that fasting is for serious Christians or only times for crisis. Um, Some even think that fasting is an Old Testament thing. And this couldn't be further from the truth. And I can say this with total confidence that there is a closeness to God that you simply won't experience. From prayer or personal devotions alone you you get a greater revelation of God's Word when you fast that you simply cannot get any other way and uh, and so what we're trying to do is disconnect from the distractions of the world through fasting and connect into the power and presence of God through prayer Um, and, and and this will bring a supernatural freshness and newness to our souls like fasting awakens your hunger for God Uh, When you shut down your natural appetite, your spiritual appetite awakens. You are passionate for more of God, and your desire for God becomes greater than than your other desires. These practices of Jesus uh, position ourselves to experience God personally. Growing up in Wisconsin during the winter, I have uh, fond memories of sitting in front of our central heating system vents while the heat was blowing through them. And in our house, uh, the vents were actually on the ground, not, not the ceiling. And I would either sit on the vent or, or elevate my legs um, so not to burn myself. And sometimes I would go to our bathroom, which is right across from my bedroom, and, and sleep on the cold bathroom floor because I enjoyed the warm heat blowing on my legs. And uh, I still do that today, actually. I, I just sit in front of the heater uh, at home. And I think maybe it connects me to my childhood. I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, and so there's a, a in my bedroom, there's a small floor heater, and I'll, I'll just sit in front of my heater um, and just receive that heat. And yesterday when I was doing that, because it was chilly yesterday, it, it just reminded me that when we do the practices of Jesus, it's it's sort of like that, that we position ourselves in front of God to receive the warmth and the blessings that he has for us. And uh, when we fast, um, we're just positioning ourselves before God to receive Him. So uh, fasting and other practices of Jesus position ourselves to experience God personally. And so that's why we do it. And, uh, and that's been our experience, collective experience, um, as there are many testimonies of, of, of God um, just really revealing Himself through, through the fast. So I encourage you to decide on what kind of fast you want to do, uh, do, do right now. Um, what will you give up for 21 days and replace it with seeking God? You might say, oh man, I don't, I didn't have enough time to think about it. I, I'm I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm not prepared. Uh, well, my opinion is that if you have too much time to think about it, you, you overthink it and then you end up kind of, um, giving up very little because you, you've actually thought yourself out of it. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so prayerfully consider that and, uh, and uh, let's journey together as we fast. So this morning, I want to give us an introduction on the journey we'll be on for the next few months, which is looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is so famous that even non-Christians can quote parts of it. You know, For example, turn the other cheek, or love your enemies, or, or the Lord's Prayer. Uh, John Stott said, The Sermon on the Mount is probably the best-known teaching of Jesus, but arguably the least understood And certainly it is the least obeyed. And Jesus starts this sermon with uh, the Beatitudes, which is a fancy word that comes from Latin that means blessedness or well-being. And so Jesus gives us nine blessed are blank. And this sounds so distinct when we read it or hear it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the the meeks. Blessed are the hungry. Um, It sounds so distinct when we read it or hear it. But actually it's not uh something that's uniquely special. Um this would be common to the Old Testament. If you've ever memorized Psalm 1 or you know what Psalm 1 says, how does it go? It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Right? So um and Psalm 119 says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Uh blessed are those who keep his statutes. So uh so this is a common um, uh, rhetoric technique and um, I don't know about you but many of us have grown up with the understanding that the, that the word blessed can be translated or understood as as happy um, happy are the poor in spirit happy are those who mourn happy are the meek happy are those who are hungry and thirsty um, and some translations have that but um, if you think about that that, that doesn't really make Makes sense. Like, because when you're hungry, a lot of us are not happy. We're, we're more like hangry. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Happy are those who mourn. What? Like, have you ever been to a funeral? And so happiness comes from the, the word happenstance, like what happens to you. Happiness. Um, the problem with circumstances is that uh, there are a lot of circumstances that, that is just totally out of our control. But if happiness is determined by what we cannot control, then when things go well, we're happy, and when things go bad, we're miserable. But the gospel, or the way of Jesus, is for us to be able to access the fruit of the Spirit independent of our happenstances. That we're able to experience still joy and peace and love and and patience and these things independent of our situation or circumstances. And this is what I want. This is what what I need. This is what I need to work on. This is what I I want from Christ. Um, In my study uh, for this sermon and about this sermon of Jesus, I have found out that um, I believe that I have been taught incorrectly of what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit or blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. I think maybe many of us have been taught that we are to aspire to these virtues. You need to be poor in spirit because you're too prideful. Or we need to be meek because you're just too cocky and arrogant. And that we need to be merciful and peacekeepers and pure in heart. But that's not what Jesus is saying. When he's saying, blessed are the poor, which is Luke's account, um, or poor in spirit, as Matthew says here, we are addressing those in poverty. Poor in spirit means having nothing to offer anyone or society. And Dallas Willard says, calls these people spiritual zeros. And so poverty uh, is, is more of an actual thing, um, not necessarily metaphorical. And we know that poverty is a bad thing. So, and, and Jesus is not asking us to pursue poverty. Um we've been taught like i said that these are all metaphors blessed are those who mourn oh oh and we're going to add blessed are those who mourn over their sin like like we added that to jesus sermon because because surely we we need to mourn over our sin and repent right that's the gospel so we just add that in there but no jesus is saying blessed to those who are grieving who who's lost a loved one who's failed at a marriage who's had multiple miscarriages who's Dealing with a promise, problem child. And um, I've also learned uh, throughout the years that uh, blessed are the meek. So therefore, I should be meek. And somehow we've defined meekness as power under control. Uh, have you ever heard that definition somewhere? Meekness, being meek is, is Jesus was uh, meek and that means power under control. But that's not what meekness means. Scholars say that, that a better translation is powerless, or humbled by society, or even oppressed. That being meek is powerless, humbled by society, or, or oppressed. You've got to remember, Jesus was speaking to those under the oppression of the Roman government, and he says, blessed are those who are meek. Pastor John Mark Comer comments that the Beatitudes are, are not virtues, as we mentioned, that, uh, and nor are they commands. These are not things that we ask God to give us or for us to try to be. We don't pray to be poor, right? We don't pray to be sad. We don't pray to be oppressed. I mean, that would be totally absurd. But I was taught that I need to be poor in spirit because, so that if I'm poor in spirit, all I have is Jesus. And you know that may be a great thing to have Jesus, but but that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, Finally, uh, Comer comments that. The Beatitudes are not timeless truths. Do the meek always inherit the earth? No. Not often. In in fact, they rarely do. It it rarely happens where the oppressed switches over. Now they're in control and rule the government, rule the world, right? Um, Do the merciful always receive mercy? No. So these are not commands. These are not virtues. But these are blessings. Uh, The problem is with the English language, there's a difficult time conveying what these words mean. And so a a better word would instead be, instead of happy, would be something like congratulations. Since these are not virtues that we are aspiring to, we're not trying to be poor, we're not trying to be sad, we're not trying to be meek or hungry. But congratulations when, when you are poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Congratulations when you mourn, because your prize is that you'll be comforted. Congratulations when you are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for you will be fed. And so Jesus is acknowledging who's sitting right in front of him, and he's saying, You're invited to the kingdom of God. Congratulations. And if you journeyed with Jesus up to this point, you'll have seen that. The groupies he attracted were those who were sick and poor and outcasts and the forgotten ones. Uh, They were desperate for healing. He had been healing the sick prior to this, desperate for money, uh, desperate for acknowledgement. So, crowds of people would follow him on his walks to the point where hundreds of people would follow him to the hillside. And so, what he's saying is, Yes, you who are poor, you who are sad, you who are hungry, you are welcome. And invited into the kingdom of God, if we see it as something to celebrate, we can understand better what Jesus is trying to communicate to the audience who He is speaking to, which includes us. It was here in verse one that uh, says, uh, "Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Jesus saw the crowds, and he sat down. So typically, rabbis would sit down to teach, and actually the listeners would be the ones standing, because they would be following him, and they'd be out in, you know, out in uh, the open, and so uh, Jesus would sit down, and the listeners would stand up, and this is simply because of just practicalities, and just how th- these crowds gathered, and they're outside, but also maybe to keep from falling asleep. But we also read that this the sermon was meant for his apprentices and not necessarily for the big crowd. Um, Jesus will continue to go on and say in verse seventeen that that he's not here to destroy the law um, he's not saying that the law doesn't matter disregard them but he came to show that that the fulfillment of the law is in him so he'll take the Torah or or the the law and, and show the spirit behind the law. You'll, you'll see Jesus say, here is the Torah, the law of God, and it's that like, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the Torah. But I say to you, and so then he'll show the spirit behind that law. Someone once said, Jesus has this habit of exposing the deep, deep issues of his followers. The moment Jesus doesn't bother you, is the moment you know you stopped listening to him, and that's that's the truth that Jesus exposes our our deep issues. Um, if you take an image of an iceberg, um, the the Torah uh, addressed the behavior of the person, the exterior of a person, which which people can see, but Jesus addressed the massive mass underneath the water, the heart issues, the the stuff inside that we don't even know about. Jesus was able to bring stuff out of your soul. He was able to bring out the stuff beneath the behavior. He was able to expose the, the motivation behind our behavior. Outside of reflection and silence and solitude, we, we have no idea what the motivations or, or the wounds or the values or the stories that are buried under there. That's why the practices of silence and solitude are so transformative. Jesus exposes the lies that we believe that we didn't even realize we believe. Like money equals happiness or getting married equals happiness or, or the lies that we feel that, that we think we're worthless or unlovable. The practices of Jesus exposes that and reveals that, what's inside underneath that, that iceberg. And so Jesus' teachings reveal and expose the deeper level to the meaning of the law. And so here is the point of the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus is trying to show what it looks like to be a follower of him that is motivated by the Spirit rather than law. Because, you know, Pharisees, they, they prided themselves on completing the letter of the law. But Jesus is trying to show what our motivations are um, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus motivated by the Spirit rather than by the law. Let me give you an example. There, there are, are two, maybe three motivations for me to drive the speed limit. Normally, I'll drive the speed limit so that I, don't, I won't get a ticket. Uh, or, I'll drive the speed limit simply because it's the law. But a third reason I will drive the speed limit is that when my child was born and we were taking him home from the hospital, I drove the speed limit because I wanted my newborn baby to be safe. And so my motivation for driving the speed limit was because of the love for my brand-newborn child and my family. And so that's why I obeyed the speed limit law. And so Jesus comes to show us what our motivation should be to fulfill and obey the law, and he came to show us what our motivation is. Jesus came to show us what our motivation should be to fulfill and obey the law. And in this process, he exposes what's in our souls. You have heard, do not murder, but I tell you, if you have anger towards a brother, you are just as guilty as murder. Whoa. And so Jesus comes and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. You know, it really, Jesus is speaking to those who say that this is not the life that I wanted. My life is not going the way that I planned, right? Um, What happens when we don't get what we want or, um, you know, Let's say we do have kids or let's say we are married. Um, let's say things have been taken away from us. Um, what is left? And Jesus shows us and points us that what is left is the kingdom of God. You, you'll, you'll see that this crowd, they, they came, they listened to Jesus. They, they came as poor people and they didn't leave rich. They came poor and they left still poor, but now they're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is trying to show us that the blessedness comes out of our brokenness. That there is a blessing out of our brokenness. I I love Eugene Peterson's um, version, uh, paraphrase of, of this. Uh, it, it's a lot more colorful and, and it's it, it just really kind of gives us a, a greater understanding of, of our context. And so he says this, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you there, there's more of God and His rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when your inside world, your mind and heart, are put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are. And you're in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. We're not blessed when there is no suffering. What Jesus is trying to say is that we are blessed in our suffering. There is a blessing for you in your suffering that comes through Jesus. Those who came to Jesus that day poor, when they left they were still poor, but they were blessed. Those who came in mourning, they left in mourning, but they were blessed. Those that were oppressed came to Jesus, they went back home, still under the Roman Empire, but they were blessed. Jesus is trying to help you view your circumstances through the lens of the kingdom of God and experience the blessings in it. So for those of us who are apprentices to Jesus, those who are poor, sad, and meek, it gives us hope because we have a destiny where all things are restored and healed and redeemed, where there's no more pain and no more shame, no more suffering. Jesus now is our hope. And I'm praying that this journey through the Sermon of Jesus will give you hope. We practice the way as we embrace the truth and experience the life of Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. And so my hope is that as we continue in the next few weeks of going over uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that you would experience the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, um, that you speak to us, speak to us personally about um, how we have hope in you That even though the circumstances around us uh, seem to be um, not in our favor, Lord, we uh, know that you are for us and not against us. God, as we uh, do the practices of Jesus, as we fast um, for these next three weeks, Lord, help us to to be blessed in the midst of our uh, struggle, to be blessed in the midst of our hunger, to be blessed in the midst of our circumstances to know that you are God, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, and so we just pray for strength and and more of your grace today. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.